0: For many years, while I was pastoring churches, about this time of year, I would ask the congregation, would you please submit to me uh, some questions that you might like to have answered in a sermon or some verses you might want me to preach on that perhaps I wouldn't otherwise get to in the course of a year's preaching. Uh, I would call this my Summer Sermon Sampler Series. Mark, you might want to try that someday. (laughs) In 2002, one of the questions I got was, talk to us about what is God's wrath? And in 2005, I got a question, how great is God? What ties those two together is that I chose to answer both by preaching from this passage, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And especially to focus on the first two words in the original language in verse 4. But God. There are a lot of different phrases in the Bible that are important that stick out to us. Uh, for me, one of the most important ones is the very first words in the Bible. In the beginning, God. This is another one of those important passages. But It is all of God, not of us. A little bit of context as we look at those two questions and that phrase. Paul begins by talking in chapter 1 to the Ephesians and telling them that he is praying for them. He says, I pray for you that you may have the spirit of wisdom and revelation to know Jesus Christ better and to know the hope that we have been called to. In him. And that is so that we may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. The first point of his prayer is that we know God's power, not just in him, but notice it's for us. But it begins with him. And he talks about that great power in these terms that power that raised Jesus from the dead. And exalted him to the right hand of the Father in heaven. And he goes on with that thought in chapter 2. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But God made you alive in Christ Jesus. And has seated you, exalted you at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. So that we may know the incomparable riches of his grace. Paul's prayer for the church is to know God's power and God's grace. Well, how does that lead us then to think about God's wrath? get more specific, in chapter 2, verses 1 through through 3, Paul is talking about the consequences of sin. He is talking about the consequences of all that we do That is opposed to God, and the consequences are death. God, in his wrath, looks at us and says, You have sinned. You have gone against my intended purpose for you. You are separate from me. God's wrath, when we think of that term, we we have in our minds conjured up many different images. Uh, When I first think of the word wrath, I think of someone who's angry, someone who's furious, someone who's lashing out. But when it comes to God, we have to understand that God's wrath is something different. Because God is not an ill-tempered, spiteful, malicious God. He's not someone who's ready to fly off the handle. He's not ready to drop the hammer on you the moment you do something wrong. God is a, a, a being. God is our creator, who has a settled, a steady, a personal, a righteous opposition to all things evil and its manifestation in us. He didn't create us to live the way we find ourselves living. God, in his wrath, in his personal righteousness, refuses to compromise with evil. God is steady in his resolve to condemn it. That's why God calls himself holy. He is apart from all that we do. It's not part of his nature. He didn't create us to be that way. One of my favorite thoughts is from John Stott, a British commentator. He writes, we need to be more grateful to God for his wrath and to worship him that Because his righteousness is perfect, he always reacts to evil in the same unchanging, predictable, uncompromising way. Without God's moral constancy, we could enjoy no peace. God is constant. God is perfect. God is always opposed that which stands against him we manifest it in our lives in the things that we do that we know from his word we ought not to do the end of God's wrath is separation from him that's why Paul writes you were dead in trespasses and sin but we're still walking around How can we say we're dead? Paul means, and God intends us to understand, that death is not just a physical cessation of life, but it begins the moment we are born and we are separated from him. We are outside of his glory. We are outside of his uh, plan. This is not what he wanted. And so, we are separated from him. I, I struggle sometimes to uh, explain exactly what that means, except to picture those who die who don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior are destined for what Scripture tells us is hell. Now, there are many pictures of hell in Scripture. It's a place of fire. It's a place of punishment. It's a place of torment, perhaps. But I believe that at least, at least it is the awareness by those who are not with him in glory of what they are missing. And that in and of itself is hell. To know, to see, to understand that we could be with God in glory. We could be in that place of perfection, that place of beauty. But to be on the outside looking in. I don't even want to imagine what that would feel like. But Paul says, that's what we are now. Even as we are walking around on this earth, if we do not believe in Jesus as Lord and Savior. If we do not know him in that personal way and follow him. I don't remember the title of the movie, But several years ago, there was a very good movie starring Tom Hanks. And in this movie, a man who is in prison, who is on death row, is being taken to his execution. And as he's walking with the guards to the execution room, the guard is saying to all who see them pass, dead man walking. Dead man walking. He's alive but he's on his way to his death in the eyes of the law, in the eyes of the people in the prison, he's already gone. We without Christ, as Paul writes in these first three verses in chapter 2, we are dead men, dead women, dead people walking, separated from God without hope. Now that's not to say that every person is a horrible, awful, disgusting human being. It just means that being created in the image of God, we are still capable of doing good, but the good that we are capable of doing does not do anything to change our situation. The only thing that can change our situation is for God to do something about it. He has declared that he is in settled opposition to that in our lives which is against what he created us to do and to be. You know, we're blind to God's glory. We're deaf to God's voice. All humanity is created by God, created for God, but living without God, dead already. I don't remember your exact words, Mark, but you said in this passage, the first three verses are really bleak. They're really horrible. But that's the condition of all who are born into the human race. What's the evidence of this death? Very quickly, Paul says, we're following the ways of the world. We're following the ruler of the kingdom of the air. We are subject to the spirit who is at work in those who are disobedient. That's the sign of our death. We cannot do enough. We cannot do anything to change God's wrath. If anything is to reverse that condition, it has to be God who does it. And God did it. He didn't rely on us. He did it himself. He took care of the wrath that we should bear, that eternal, final separation from him by taking our sinfulness and putting it on his son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul writes, And God made Jesus to be sin for us. And in Jesus to vent the full expression of his wrath, to punish it instead of us. That's why Paul can write in Romans chapter 5, verse 9, for example, we shall be saved from God's wrath through Jesus Christ. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10, Paul says, it is Christ who reconciles and rescues us from the coming wrath. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. God saved us from his wrath by doing what we could not do bear the punishment of our sin. If we bear the punishment of our sin, we are done. Once we die physically, it's all over. There is no hope. Unless God has taken care of his wrath himself. And he did that in and through Jesus. And already Paul gives us evidence of that because he begins this part of chapter 2, the very first three verses, by saying you were dead in your transgressions and sin, in that which you used to live when you followed the ways of transgression and sin. We lived that way once. We were, by nature, objects of wrath. But God. And this is, for me, perhaps the most important thing right now to think about and reflect on. All of our misery, all of our sin, leaves us helpless, hopeless in the eyes of God unless he does something about it, and he does. We were dead, but God, makes us alive. It is God who gives us the gift that he created us for, and that is to be with him in eternal glory. And to begin that journey the moment we put our faith and trust in him now, in this life. That little word, but, is so very important. In the dictionary, one of the definitions of the word but is this. It means on the contrary. For example, my action didn't cause us to gain but to lose. Contrary to what I had intended, something else happened. It also means to give an exception. We should have done this. But we didn't act. The exception was. Something set before us. We didn't do it. Or someone failed. God has changed. Death into life. In his wrath. Expressed against Jesus. Who willingly went to the cross. On our behalf. In Christ. All who profess faith and trust in him receive what they don't deserve, the gift of life. And how far does God go to make sure that we hear that and understand it? Because I said in our state of being dead men walking, we can't hear God, we can't see God, we can't know God. He gives us his Holy Spirit who begins that work in us when we hear the preaching of the word or when someone shares their testimony with us, when we look at creation. In so many different ways, God speaks to us and gives us the ability to hear and he gives us the strength to respond and believe if we will but surrender to him. If we will but say, I no longer want to live in transgression and sin. I want to live alive in Christ Jesus. We can't do a thing about it. But God does it. He does it for us, to us, and with us. In Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. Paul is greeting the Ephesians. And how does he greet them? As those who are in Christ Jesus, holy and blameless in God's sight. Dead men walking until we put our faith, our trust in Jesus. And then alive in him, we appear before God, holy and blameless, even though you and I know that every day we do something that doesn't please God. He sees us in Christ, alive and perfect. It's not something I can manufacture in my life. It's not something you can manufacture in yours. Can't emphasize enough the significance of those two little words. But God. You know, there's another thing about that little word, but. It negates everything that came before. Stop and think about that. Think about the last time someone said something to you. Hey, Mark, that was a great sermon. But you know, you took too long to get to your main point. What did that little word, but, do? It negated everything I said about your great sermon, didn't it? (laughs) It's a powerful little word. But God. Dead, but made alive. The full impact of that, I've spent all my years discovering what that means. And I'm not done yet. Well, the first question was, what is the wrath of God? The second question was, how great is God? Paul tells us how great God is when he says, but God in his love, because of his mercy, saved us by greatness of God is seen in those three words, love, grace, and mercy. They're the things that trigger the action but God. How great is God? Because of his love he made us alive. It is his willingness to give of himself in the person of Jesus, in self-sacrifice, extending himself to us, even though our sin repulses him. Transcending the separation between us that we call and know as spiritual death. To draw us back to himself. Did you catch that in the three songs that we sang as we started? God reaching out to us because he loves us. Even though his wrath also has already declared us dead in his sight if we don't believe in Jesus. He loves us and he desires for us not to be separated from himself for eternity but to be with him and so he goes to these great lengths to sacrifice himself in the person of Jesus. First trigger. Second trigger is God who is rich in mercy. Among the many definitions of mercy in the dictionary, the most applicable to what we talk about as God's mercy is this. It is not getting what we deserve. We deserve death as human beings. Blame it on Adam and Eve. It started with them. But we are humanity following from them and all who came after them are born as God declared them dead separated that's all we deserve but God doesn't give us that he gives us instead the gift of life in Jesus Christ that's the exception of that word but John 3 16 but whoever believes in Jesus will not perish, but have everlasting life. We don't get what we deserve. We get the third trigger, God's grace. Grace simply means getting what I don't deserve. Paul says, by grace you have been saved, not from yourselves. It is a gift of God. We can't earn it. It is given as his gift freely to us. Life in his presence forever. But God. I hope that that becomes a central thought in your life. That's why we ask that question. What has God done that you couldn't do? I've faced that many times. The question of going to seminary years ago. How am I going to pay for seminary? Betsy was working. I was working. There were a lot of bills. Tuition was high. But God knew what he was calling me to, he gave me scholarships. Half my seminary training was paid for by someone else in the form of a scholarship. I had a teaching fellowship my last year in seminary. Between the two of us, we couldn't earn enough to live and go to seminary, but God, who said, seek first the kingdom, And all of these things will be added, provided for that seminary training. Mark mentioned a week ago, I went into retirement. There's a lot of ifs, there's a lot of doubts about entering that phase of life. But God has provided for us. God has made it possible for Betsy and I to enter retirement and to continue to live and minister and truly not to worry about the future. Eleven years ago, I faced the challenge of cancer. When I went into surgery, I didn't know if I would come out or not, but God gave me peace. That going into surgery, if something happened and I didn't survive, I would be with him and my family would be taken care of. God had a plan that I couldn't see. I had to trust him. To me, the future looked bleak. But to God, that's been 11 years and counting. How great is God? He is a God of love and mercy and grace who though we were dead and deserved to be dead made us alive in Christ Jesus. Maybe someone here today finds themselves in that situation knowing that you're separated knowing that you have not a hope of something better. But God has a way. If you will just surrender to him, let that but God be personally yours. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We rejoice in the knowledge that what we couldn't do You did. You changed our death into life by dying yourself in the person of Jesus and then rising triumphant over physical death to give us both spiritual life now and the hope of physical, spiritual life with you forever in heavenly glory. Thank you and praise you in the precious name of Jesus.